This meeting will now come to order. Madam Clerk, please read the evacuation announcement and citizen speaker guidelines. Upon activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the exits to the left or right front of the council chamber or the east or west stairwell outside of the rear doors of the chamber. Do not use elevators or escalators. After exiting the building, proceed to the assembly area located in front of the Department of Social Services building at 900 East Marshall Street. Citizens and employees should assist visually and hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. Guidelines for citizen comment period and public hearings. Citizens wishing to speak during the public comment period and or public hearings are generally allowed three minutes to speak. Persons speaking before the committee are not allowed to campaign for public office, promote private business ventures, use language of a personal nature which insults or demeans any person, including comments directed at public officials or staff members that are not related to their official duties or address or question staff members directly. All questions are to be directed to the committee chair. Failure to adhere to the guidelines may result in speakers forfeiting any remaining time and further disciplinary action as necessary, which could include barring from attendance at future meetings of the committee for a period of six months. Madam Chair, that concludes the announcements. At this time, we will open um, the public comment period. Madam Clerk, are there any persons present to speak? There is no one that had signed up virtually. Is there anyone in the chamber who wishes to address the committee regarding items not on today's agenda? Seeing none, that concludes the public comment period. All right, we'll now move on to items for discussion. Um, thank you all, first and foremost, um, here present and out there in TV land for bearing with us as we um, gathered our, our quorum. Um, we're going to try and I try to keep these meetings to an hour and a half. We will try to um, get you all out of here as quickly as we can, given that we had to um, have a little bit of a delay. Um, but with us today, and we have some very exciting discussion topics, with us today are um, first and foremost our esteemed um, uh, vice chair of school board, of school board, school member, um, um, school board member Burke. We are so um, um, appreciative of your time and, and welcome you here. It's very lovely to see your face in person and have you back as a part of this um, committee. We did a lot of great work together um, in the in, over the years. So it's very, very nice to see you. Um, welcome Superintendent Cameras and welcome um, our, uh, our esteemed COO, Dana Fox. And with us today, and Reggie Gordon, thank you for being here with us. And with us today, we have um, our wonderful appointee of children and families, Eva Colon, who is going to give us the part two of the um, discussion around a, a children's budget, aka fiscal mapping. This discussion really started January 26 during the Joint School Board City Council meeting where um, we came together as two bodies, discussed shared priorities, ways to collaborate. And so this is really um, a, a discussion point that came out of that meeting that we've carried forward and hopefully a great impetus for us to look across both um, the RPS budget and the city budget um, at some point and, and really do a great crosswalk of our programs that serve children and families. So without further ado, Ms. Eva Colin, welcome. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. Um, so I will preface by saying that while at the last meeting when we last checked in, I had assured that we'd have a big presentation for today. Um, I've been working closely with Ms. Davis, and we are now working with procurement. So we are a discussion item and not a presentation because we're actually going through the procurement piece. So we want to make sure we are still speaking at high levels about things until we have locked that up. 
Um, but Joyce will share a few pieces as well, a couple updates after I wrap up. But for those who are joining us on this topic for the first time, um, just point of reminder, when we talk about fiscal mapping, um, some of us, maybe more nerdy folks, get really excited about this. Like the idea of reorganizing a budget to really look at intended outcomes rather than the agencies or departments that are delivering those outcomes is pretty exciting, not just as somebody who you know, works in government, but when I think about being a resident of the city and trying to make sense of budgets, it can be hard to do that if you're just looking at lines that are associated with fairly bureaucratic agency or department names. And so children's budgets or fiscal maps really do allow, I think, I would say a more nuanced and more strategic engagement in the advocacy process for residents and, and citizens of, of, of localities that pursue them. Um, it is a tool for analyzing public spending and it does support better public awareness, but it also just supports better internal education around all the different things a locality is doing, not just with local dollars, but with state funds, with federal funds and even philanthropic funds. Um, there's a lot of services that we count on that are funded in a time limited way and we may not even realize it as residents in the city. Something might come through as a federal grant for five years and then that goes away and all of a sudden we're left without some scope of service. So that is to say, um, Joyce and I have been working on kind of aligning what goals we would be hoping to meet as the city. Um, and some of the things that we've talked through are some of what we've already discussed a bit, shared goals and priorities, um, long-term planning to be aware of those investments that we have come to rely on, but that may be funded in a time-limited way, particularly those that are funded by the American Rescue Plan Act across any number of city agencies, um, as well as uh, supporting strategic financing efforts. And this is something that's emerging across communities nationwide as folks look to uh, kind of innovative ways to fund, not strictly rely on local revenue, not strictly rely on federal revenue, but really thinking through how can you strategically fund key priorities using every tool in the toolbox. And then finally, um, as we've done the research around fiscal mapping and in localities and states across the country, we've learned that some organizations that do this work also do an education and engagement process. So it wouldn't just be completing a fiscal map, but it could be facilitating a joint meeting of city council and school board about fiscal mapping or about you know, children's budgets, or even coming down to the most granular level of like aligning on terms. We have, for instance, job titles that are the same across different departments or agencies that have different scopes of work. So let's have that conversation. Um, and so all that is to say, the more we are digging in, I will not to speak for you, Joyce, but I think the more we talk about this, the more excited we get about what's possible for Richmond and our community more broadly. Um, I will let Joyce take it from here to talk a little bit about where we are um, with procurement because that she's been owning that that side of the project. Um, but I'm happy to answer any questions after she wraps on kind of the subject matter. Good evening, Joyce Davis, Council Policy Analyst. Even I have been working on the fiscal map um, to analyze the funding streams to support um, children and youth. And we've spoken with procurement. Our goal is that maybe first of next week, we will issue the RFP and we're hoping that at least three vendors will respond, one of which should have minority women uh, and business potential because that's the the route that we're going. When we receive those, we're going to put 10 days minimum is what we can use for the solicitation. And we have researched some other 
vendors or various vendors so that they can respond to it. Um, I say other because we know of one or two in the state and outside of the state, but we are going to make every attempt to contact individuals that do this type of work so that they can respond to our solicitation. And it will include the solicitation that we have put together so far gives an overview and a scope of work, uh, the project activities, which deal with the deliverables, uh, a document that includes all funding for children and youth that is within local Richmond, Virginia budgets, a fiscal map tool that includes all data used for the report, an interactive and visual report, a final presentation provided to council, school board, and administration. And then the, the biggest thing that we thought was a key point that we um, spoke about today in our meeting uh, with one another is that we have work sessions by the vendor, which should include an overview um, to review the functionality of the fiscal mapping um, technology so that the user, any user, whether it's a resident, a council member, liaisons, or council staff and administration and school board and Richmond public school staff, that they're able to use um, this technology so that they can understand the funding streams that support the investments in children in the Richmond city. And the work sessions are requested for the vendor to demonstrate the components of the mapping technology with council, school board, and administration for a joint session so that we can move forward in understanding, again, the funding streams so that you can be better informed when you're making your decisions. And I'm not sure if I've covered, I said 10 days, but our projected date is somewhere around March 16th. We're trying to determine if it's 10 calendar days or if it's, you know, 10 working days. And so that date may vary. But um, that is the plan so far of what we will issue. The one point of, I will just add on to that with, with the trainings, um, we also are intending to have city staff be trained on being able to keep that tool updated going forward so that this is like a living document that is updated with each budget season that for each budget we're able to have a core corresponding children's budget so that it can be something that the city it then owns so it's not something we have to rely on an external partner to do for us on a regular basis thank you guys this is this is really exciting i'm one of those nerds that's getting really excited about this um so just two quick questions one um Joyce, did I hear you say correct? Did I hear you correctly in saying that we, as a part of the scope of work for this vendor, they are going to bring school board and city council together in a joint meeting? That is the goal. So the goal is that as a part of what you've been talking about with the schools or just for the understanding, I think, um, as you mentioned, being excited. So the excitement should be that all agencies that work with children should be interested in becoming a stakeholder and receiving um, more insight of this particular technology and knowing how to use it. So yes, the goal would be to have a joint meeting because we want everyone to own this project when it's finished. And to be able to have their questions answered 
in an open format so that it's not that nobody feels like they get only certain amounts of information that the, the vendor themselves are actually answering questions directly. Perfect. Um, and that, that is really why we wanted to go down this train track in the first place is to use this as an impetus for that collaboration. Because if we can't come together over children's mental health, well-being, and improving outcomes, then by God. <laughs> so I, I think that's a great, um, I think that's great. Um, my second my second question um, was how are, and this is really more for um, um, Vice Chair Burke, how, how best to um, socialize this, share this with colleagues. I know I've spoken with um, um, Chair Rizzi and some other colleagues, but how best to kind of, um, you know, what the preference is for the school board on how to bring this before them as well and just share that we are um, engaging um, with this, you know, going down this process and we want to walk alongside, alongside them. Um, I think that message has been shared, but would defer um, to you all, and we can get offline on how to how to do that. But just taking this as a next as an action item from this committee, how to get that back before the, the school board? Okay, I see a thumbs up. <laughs> okay, um, committee members, questions. I just wanted to add. Thank you, um, uh, Chair. I wanted to kind of add a little bit right in regards to what we've learned through the pandemic around some of the needs of the households that we observe really quickly. And those are not things that RPS teachers and staff and faculty can address by themselves. And so for me, it's now more around, okay, we had a light shined on this. What are we gonna do about it? And to me, I think you've seen our commitment with community centers, facilities. What are the programs we need? What are the things that are needed across the entire city? Um, languages we need to have, other training opportunities. And that's what this really gets to. And this is not about, anything in regards to otherwise supporting every student as best we can to be prepared for school, to be ready during the weekends, after school, in a safe environment, learning more and staying engaged. And that's the safest thing we can do. And that's where we all come together on what those needs are. And that's where this helps identify where there are gaps, where there are needs, and also where there might be already players doing things in certain neighborhoods and how we can either better support them or encourage them to join in other neighborhoods. And so for me, it is important because I think we can look at the communities that surround good schools and how the, how strong they are and what makes them happen, but more importantly, what they bring to the table that might not be in other schools, just because the resources might not be the same. And we can fill those gaps, identify where those opportunities are through analysis like this. So I'm looking forward to seeing how we can do that. And I look forward to being a part of that as best I can. If anything I can do to help, definitely want to see what we can do to make this strong. Thank you. Great comments. Um, okay. Um, Council Member Jordan, I know you've joined us as well. Any comments or feedback before we move on to the next discussion item? No, I just appreciate uh, being here to, to see how it progresses. Thank you. All right. Um, thank you so much, Eva. I really appreciate all your work on this and Joyce. It's um, really, really exciting stuff and I'll um, look forward to getting with our, our school board compatriots over here after this meeting. Um, all right. Next up on the agenda, we have um, our wonderful COO and superintendent joining us. Um, and really, we, you guys have kind of back-to-back -back updates, but we'll start first with the um, construction timeline for George With. And William and um and Fox Elementary. Good afternoon, Madam Chair, Council Member Addison, Council Member Jordan. It is good to see all of you. Thank you for having us back. 
Very briefly on Fox, we are proceeding with the construction of the roof. That is the next element that folks will begin to see over the next couple of months. Um, we are grateful that uh, in conversations with the insurance company, we were able to get an initial payment to cover that. So all that work is proceeding. And then thereafter, uh, the rest of the work. Um, as for how that will be financed, I think there are a number of different options available to us, either accessing the 200 million that the city has set aside in terms of construction debt capacity as of July 1. Um, there are some state grants that we are applying to. Um, so a number of different avenues to ensure that we're able to, to complete the renovation. Um, but I do feel confident one way or another we will uh, be able to do that even if there is some gap in terms of the insurance money and we're still in conversations with our insurer and they're very amicable and I'm hopeful that they will come to resolution soon. Uh, in terms of timeline, our goal is that Fox would reopen in 2025. Uh, I'm not sure yet if that's the fall or the winter. Um, but um, obviously we're going to do everything we can to um, move as expeditiously as possible. As it pertains to WIF, uh, we now have final site plans, which were shared with the community last night, and we will have in our presentation to the school board as well on Monday. So that is very exciting. Just as a reminder to everybody, uh, one of the initial steps is to relocate a very large uh, water main that is running under the athletic fields uh, along with a parallel uh, sewage line um, from basically directly under the field to the perimeter. So obviously all that has to happen before we can begin any construction. So that will be uh, the first element of the work that folks will see um, hopefully uh, the summer, this fall, we'll uh, be able to be in a position for uh, a groundbreaking of, of that sort. Um, in terms of timeline for the school, look, so much depends on the construction industry um, and, and other factors. I think it's reasonable to say we're looking at 2027. And again, I'm not exactly sure if that would be fall or winter. We have to see based on um, how things shake out, but I think that is a, a reasonable timeline um, for folks to expect. So that's a high level. If you have any specific questions, Ms. Fox, of course, can um, fill that in, but just wanted to start with that. Over. Um, okay, so starting with Fox, um, the school construction grant, do we know how much the city of Richmond would be eligible for? Have we done any? I don't know, but I'll call Ms. Fox up. Good afternoon. So it's based on percentages. It's a 10, 20, 30 percent. Um, and we are working on the application. So we're, we're going to meet with the grants team on Tuesday to further define that. Under no circumstances would the grant cover the entire cost of construction. Um, and it's only limited to certain things. It would be for the construction costs, but doesn't cover everything in totality, um, but it's it's percentages of the total cost of construction not to exceed $100 million. 
Okay, so they will pay up to like 30% of the, given the the early numbers that we have and the very basic math that I did, we could, in theory, qualify for up to $6 million. And that's on the high end. Nap and math, yeah. And I'm not a math wizard like Mr. Cameras, but that's the number I had on it. <laughs> Neither, I can't lay late in the, that myself either. Um, the... Um, um, George, for George with the infrastructure, I, we've called that our, what, $20 million per problem now for a very long time. Do we actually have a budget estimate of how, of, of what that will cost? And is that included in the totals that were sent over in the memo to us on the 23rd of February? Are you asking just about the site costs for the relocation of the pipe? The site costs, the replacement, you know, all that kind of infrastructure work that's got to, that's, that's taking place. I don't have numbers for that quite yet because we are still in conversations with the city about the size of the pipe. The city is requesting that we upsize the pipe um, from 72 inch to, I believe, a 96 inch pipe. So we have not completed those calculations to, to give you a number firmly on that. But I mean, just for the site work alone for the relocation of the pipe will be several several million dollars um, for that piece. And that that is not included in the total estimate of the school construction, correct? So we have to, the that would be additional CIP monies from the city? No, that that's included, but I didn't want to say site costs because site costs are also the athletic facilities that we do after the fact. So, and there's after the demolition. So, when it says site cost, that doesn't just mean the pipe, um, but it's we don't have it broken out uh, quite yet. That was just a rough estimate. But now with conversations and and changing some things, I don't have a, a set number just on the pipe work. I would really hope, and maybe maybe we can take this as an action item as well um, to to do some research as to whether or not we can use our any of the CSO funding that we've gotten from the state because that's how we were funding some of our pipe and line replacement um, so that it does not come out of the the CIP allocation even no we cannot okay. yeah I just wanted to clarify the the numbers that we provided in response to the mayor's inquiry were all inclusive but they did not include an upsizing of the pipe so that is an additional potential cost for the project so I just wanted to clarify that um, and we would welcome any assistance for those sorts of infrastructure upgrades. And then the original allocation um, for um, George with that we approved was 100, you know, we've heard several different estimates. It was 140 million originally, as my as I understood it. We received a memo that it's at 157 but with inflation and some of those other costs i've heard numbers as high as 192 million do we have a final budget estimate of 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 the total cost all in the costs we have are in that memo so anything um beyond that we don't have just yet Any other questions? 
Thank you, Chair Lynch, and it's great to see you uh, back here, Superintendent Cameras. I know since, I mean, WIT has been in planning for a long time. Um, since that initial planning happened and the prototype design was chosen, we do have the IRA Act, and I don't know all of the things that are in it, but I felt like there were there were funding opportunities for schools in addition to government buildings to choose, you know, energy efficient equipment or solar, things like that. Is, do you guys have the capacity with your grants team to look at things like that, or do you need assistance from the city? Councilmember Jordan, could you articulate what you were referencing? Yes, what I'm wondering is, um, are, does RPS have, you mentioned you're having a meeting with grants to talk about the construction grants. We know there's a you know trove of money coming down from the federal government in the Inflation Reduction Act having to do with um, trying to build a greener country. Some of those things have to do with HVAC systems, you know, being able to install solar. And I'm just wondering to the extent that every single dollar is precious and anything we can offload to a grant um, or something from the federal government, we want to make sure we're not missing those opportunities. So my question to you is, is that something you guys are pursuing for with or other facilities because we have so much deferred maintenance? Um, or do you need help from our sustainability director or our grants um, administrators? Uh, we would certainly welcome any assistance. Okay. Our grants folks are are pretty strapped. I, I will note, well, I don't know every piece of the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, there was actually very little in the Inflation Reduction Act for schools. Okay. It was mostly for other infrastructure. In fact, a lot of the school-based pieces were cut out during the budget discussions. So, um, and my sense is that would probably flow to the state and then there would be some sort of process. Um, we'll certainly take a look at it, um, but yes, we'd welcome any support the city can provide. Thank you. Um, and what, um, just one last piece, I know that you said, um, we don't have an exact timeline on George with, but generally when are we tracking for the opening of the ideal would be the fall of 27. Um, okay. Every time I hear that, it hurts my heart a little bit. I'm sorry. Um, so um, the athletic field, I did get a question about the athletic fields. Um, when, because when, um, the plan is to build where the athletic, what, where are students or is there a plan for students to use like Huguenot High School during the next, you know, when that's happening? Yeah, we're working through utilization of another school's facilities during that time. Well, we will roll right into the school board budget update. Um, you all have a budget for us. We do, yes. All right, let's talk about it. Um, yes, I'm grateful to the school board. They approved a budget at our last board meeting. It has been submitted to the mayor. Um, the requested increase is just shy of $29 million over our current budget. As we've discussed, the lion's share of that, about $24 million, is for the obligations of our collective bargaining agreements, primarily our teachers, but also our instructional assistants, our school nutrition staff, and our care and safety staff. Uh, there is also a little bit of money to support uh, student wellness, as well as our English learner students. Um, 
and some funds uh, for several other priorities that the board had articulated. And then finally, uh, funds to save some positions that are currently sitting on ARP dollars. Um, these are pretty bread and butter positions like bus drivers and nurses and such, um, which frankly we added because we needed them. And um, our hope was that over time we would be able to identify the funds to keep them. Um, I will say, as you all know, the state budget is a big question mark right now, um, which will have a massive impact on RPS. If the Senate version or something close to it were to be enacted, uh, it would be millions more for RPS. If something closer to the House version, which the governor has articulated is his preference, um, it could result in a reduction for RPS. So um, obviously when the General Assembly comes back into session and makes those decisions, that will be very, very important for us. So the total budget ask coming before a city council is? I don't have the, mem the exact number memorized, but it's about 29 million over current funding level. And what would, what would the, um, say the house version passes, what would that bring us up to? Uh, if the Senate version were to pass, we would see an additional roughly 16 million. If the House version were to pass, we may actually see a reduction of several million. So then we would have to add that to the 29 million, that reduction, correct? That or we would need to take further cuts. Okay. Um, members, any? Uh, uh, if I may, Madam Chair, I just want to note again for the record, the city has been very generous to RPS. Um, and I think it's important for the public to hear that. Truly, it's the state that has lagged behind. And um, and that is why the JLARC study that is going to be published next year, which looks at funding for schools in the Commonwealth of Virginia, is so important. Quite frankly, the way it is done right now is broken and disadvantages places like Richmond. And so if anybody is watching and you want to advocate and push, really, uh, please direct that energy towards uh, the General Assembly and focusing on getting as close to the Senate version of the budget as possible. I mean, hopefully optimistic about that. Um, Council Member Jordan. Thank you, Chair Lynch. I had a question um, that had been sent to me. I'm trying to understand the virtual academy piece, and it seemed like there was some back and forth in the budget deliberations, at least to the extent I watched it on the school board um, work session. What I feel like I heard in those work sessions was that our virtual academy only went to eighth grade because there was the Virginia virtual option and everyone could just opt into that. Why? And it sounded like it did, that it was only high school, but isn't virtual Virginia K through 12? And why would we not, why are we recreating what they're, they're offering? Thank you. So the virtual program run by the state does span more grades than just high school. <clears throat> uh, however, two important considerations. One, there's a tuition cost, so it's not free. Two, we found that many of our students who participated in that were not particularly successful. Uh, it is 
a highly independent experience for students. And so students who need a lot of support who may not be on grade level struggled rather significantly and many of them were actually removed um, by the state program because of their performance. And so um, while that is certainly an option, I'm not sure it is the best option for many of our students. And again, it is not a free option. So currently the virtual academy does serve K to 12 with the caveat that the nine through 12 students are participating in coursework from the virtual the state virtual program, but they're supported by actual FTEs as well as part of the virtual academy to help them through that process. Hope that clarifies. Councilmember Addison. Uh, thank you. How much budgetarily annually is the uh, virtual academy? Uh, it, right now it's about $3 million. Okay. And it's currently in this fiscal year funded on ARP dollars. Uh, it is part of the ask of additional funds to move it over to operating dollars. Um, as the school board last year uh, enacted policy to convert it into a, an actual school of record. Okay, understood. Thank you. Do they take attendance at this, um, the virtual academy? They do. How do they follow up on absenteeism and enforce that the students are actually participating? As as with other schools, by communicating with the families and um, making sure the expectations are clear. And as with other schools, if students are absent a certain number of days, then there are certain consequences that come into play. Um, thank you so much, Superintendent Cameras. I appreciate that. Um, uh, all of the updates. Um, we um, will look forward to more to more conversation, more to come. And yes, we have always fully funded. Well, since I think since 2016, we've always fully funded um, RPS. Um, since you've been in office, yes, I, I stand corrected. Um, always fully funded RPS and um, you know one exercise that that may be a, a worthwhile one because we do that we tend to do this every year is um, you usually come and update us on the dreams for RPS strategic plan and where things um, stand in that plan what we've funded we've we've tended to use that as a benchmark um, document for us to measure our progress um, I think in our um, coming meetings, and I'll talk with the president and vice president about how they would like to um, handle that if they would like to have that as an OD item or, or however we want to, to to have it before us, but to get the update on um, dreams for RPS. And as a mat, as a point of clarification, when is the last time the school board looked at that strategic plan and um, discussed it and and looked at the metrics, et cetera? Yes, yeah, so we do periodic updates on the 10 goals within Dreams for RPS, but to the broader question of the, um, the need to do some resetting post-pandemic, uh, we agree. And so we've been talking about a process to 
uh, engage the community on, in essence, Dreams for RPS 2.0. Um, as I've shared with the board and as is publicly known, we are very far from our targets that we set five years ago, um, in no small part due to the fact that we spent nearly three years going through a once-in-a-century pandemic. So we really need to reset our baseline and set new achievement targets uh, going forward. And so that's what I hope we'll do over the next several months. Thank you so much. And we'll follow up on, on that item. We really appreciate you being here. And, um, uh, you know, as always, thanks for taking, I know you are um, an extremely, probably the city's most busy, um, busiest man. So thank you for taking the time to, to be here with us. Um, um, Vice Chair Burke, would you join us for your update? Good afternoon, everyone. Cheryl Burke is delighted to be here with you this afternoon. And always, as our superintendent stated, it's always a pleasure to connect with the city because you all have been very attentive. And um, I love the idea of moving forward as partners. Your first agenda item in terms of how we can work together, the meeting that we did have earlier, it was most effective. And it's great that we are addressing the whole child. So I thank you for that. All right, RPS update, just a quick overview. Well, tonight we're having our mid-year graduation. If you'd like to join us at 6 o'clock p.m. at Huguenot High School. So we're excited about that. Those students that have completed their um, classwork and requirements will be celebrated tonight at Huguenot High School for the entire city of Richmond. Our 23-24 school calendar was approved and students will attend school late June, excuse me, late August through late May. If you want the dates, I'll send it to you later. I think the 31st is the last day for, um, last day for the 23-24 school year, May 31st. Okay, okay, thank you so much. Um, the next item per se, we are working towards schools that had the choice to apply for an extended school year, 200 days as opposed to our required 180 days. Some schools are still working on that, but one school I must shout out, Fairfield Elementary School in the 7th District, that is fully accredited as well. 96% of the faculty and staff are ready to move forward. And I think they have less than maybe 20 parents that they have not talked to yet, but maybe as of tomorrow, it will be done completely. But they're excited to have this opportunity, not for the purpose of remediation, but for the purpose, purpose of acceleration. The opportunity to teach every child is a gifted and talented child, student. So we are, I commend that staff and team for a job well done. And um, I promise you, we're going to see great results if the board approves that. All right, my next item is the task force on Latino and the English learner students did pass at our last school board meeting. So we are looking forward to continuing the partnership and providing, um, meeting the needs, the needs of our students because our population number changes every day. So we're delighted that that community, that committee that did involve school board persons, 
people from the community, parents, students, collectively, there will be in place the opportunity to better support our children that are coming to us new to this country. Um, and the next to the last item is mid-year data is looking pretty good in reading and math. Across the board, we've seen gains, um, some higher than others, but the main thing is that we're moving forward in a positive manner in terms of um, calming down per se. COVID isn't completely gone, but it's taking, taking us a while to get our feet in it correctly and feeling good about what we're doing but um, also having the resources in place. So mid-year data, according to the um, SOL assessments that we give, standards of learning, it looks great. It looks better. We're not 100%. And if we were 100%, then, then something's wrong. But we see gains, and that's the important part. And my last item is a challenge for us continues to be attendance, as we all know, not just here in the city of Richmond, but across the country. A lot of persons still are not comfortable in um, having their students to come to school, their children to school every day. And there are other barriers as well, as um, Councilman um, Addison mentioned earlier. So I look forward to the opportunity to work collectively together, the housing, the neighborhoods, the health department, the schools, working together as to how we can better support um, our children, knowing that it's important, and their parents, that they come to school every day. And we can take it from there once they come, but they have to come. And that is a challenge. We have people in the communities every day from Richmond Public Schools and volunteer organizations as well to try and get our students to, we have persons we call a walking school bus. And the, but you can walk to the school. They don't have to take the school bus. But those persons are knocking on the doors. I've walked with them, so I know, I know what they're going through just to get the students. Okay, John, it's time to get up. It's time to get ready for school. We're going to walk down the street and we'll come back and get you. And the parents are there saying, oh, we've been waiting for you. But it's a delightful walk with the students because you get to hear how they're, but by the time they get to the door, if something was bothering them, we've solved it on our way to school walking. Do you have any questions of me? And that's not everything, but I think that's a good overview. So wonderful highlights. Um, thanks, Vice Chair Burke. Um, you mentioned the um, the extended day schools and hats off to Fairfield, and I think we're close in some of my district schools too. Yes. Um, is there a um, do we know how many schools have opted to to do that yet? Is there a list like a full list? Is there a what? Is there a list of of the schools that have opted to do the extended day? Yes, Superintendent Cameras. Thank you, uh, Madam Vice Chair. We currently have three schools that are still under consideration, Fairfield Court Elementary, Overby Shepherd Elementary on the north side, and Cardinal Elementary on the south side. They are all in the family engagement phase, so families are learning about it and they are voting. And no school, or I will not bring any of the three schools to the board for formal consideration, consideration unless they have at a minimum majority support from their families. Um, so far, Fairfield Court is furthest along in that process, and I'm hoping to be able to bring them forward on Monday, um, and then the other two shortly thereafter. And, and this is, there's no limit. Is there a limit to how many schools can opt for extended day, or is it 
just to clarify, this is extended year. Yeah. Um, so we're going to a 200 day instructional calendar. So these schools would actually start in late July. Um, well, we are limited by the amount of money that we have. So this is a pilot that will be funded uh, with the ARP dollars, but this is exactly the kind of thing that ARP dollars are intended for to catalyze bold responses to the pandemic. And I do think this is going to be a very powerful response. And so we will see how it goes. And if the data bears it out, if our kids are doing significantly better, then I think we make the case to the state, to the city, whomever, the federal government, that we need additional funding to expand it and maintain it. Thank you so much, Superintendent. And thank you so much, um, Vice Chair Burke. Councilmember Jordan, did you ever let, let him? Okay. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. As always, look forward to um, working with you on the children's budget, and we'll get offline and, and figure out how to carry that conversation forward. Thank you. Thank you so very much for the opportunity. Madam Clerk, let's read the papers for consideration. The item for consideration is item one, ordinance 2023-056, to authorize the CAO to ex execute a grant contract between the city and bridging the gap in Virginia for implementing a solar panel training program in the city. That paper is before the committee. The patrons, do I see anyone? Oh, I see DCA Gordon. Would you like to introduce this paper? Good afternoon, Cheryl Lynch, Councilman Edison and Jordan, Reggie Gordon, DCAO for Human Services. I just rise in full support of this ordinance. Um, we know Richard Walker and bridging the gap in Virginia. Uh, the reason I'm excited about it is not only because he's a partner of ours, is but because he really gets the wealth building framework and recognizing that in order to get people up the ladder to some sort of stability, they need to be engaged in career pathways that will lead them to that level of financial stability and be innovative in the process. So he's a futurist and we're glad to partner with him. And he's here today if you'd like to hear from him. Thank you so much, GCO Gordon. Are there persons who wish to speak in opposition of this paper? Seeing none, are there persons who wish to speak in support? This would be the time to rise. Richard Walker, founder and CEO of Bridging the Gap in Virginia. Uh, we've had a long standing relationship with the Office of Community Wealth Building. Uh, I've been a vital part of helping returning citizens get to a point of uh, uh, employment, gainful employment with the partnership with the Office Community Wealth Building. It started out with me uh, providing biweekly training, uh, which what we call overcoming barriers, you know, helping individuals navigate after being returned back into society. Uh, where that combination or that partnership with the Office of Community Wealth Building, we were able to service about 20 individuals per week. Uh, since then, uh, I've started this program of solar panel installation training. Uh, we initiated our first training, second training, was with the Office of Community Wealth Building, but it was through the Richmond Health District, their program for uh, 
uh, crime prevention, uh, juvenile crime prevention. So we had a group of 18 to 24 year olds. Since then, it has prospered uh, where we offer training every six to eight weeks for individuals that are returning citizens, unemployed, underemployed, or individuals that need to get a footing on gainful employment. Um, we've also partnered outside of the Richmond where uh, uh, there's community gardens where we've been able to create an irrigation system for them uh, through electrical uh, water pumps uh, and through being powered through solar. Uh, so they get a hands-on as well as book knowledge in a 40-hour period for one week. Uh, upon completion of the training, uh, they are eligible for the NAPSEP exam, which is the North American uh, uh, Bureau of uh, Certified Electric, uh, Energy Practitioners. Uh, so and that will get them employed, gainfully employed throughout the entire country and beyond the United States. Uh, we're excited uh, about the training. Um, I just received a award, in fact, from the uh, Virginia Renewable Energy Alliance. Uh, I received the leadership award for 2022 as a direct result of the innovative training that we did in order to attract individuals that are in the marginalized communities. Um, thank you. And I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Walker. Your program is phenomenal. I wish we could, you know, you. have millions more like it. It's just wonderful. Thank you for doing what you're doing and, and you. your um, numerable contributions to the community. And if I would, we're we're looking we're in discussion of of forging an apprenticeship program for solar as well. Um, and and I'm more excited about that because it's bringing in other entities within the uh, Central Virginia region to participate in this apprenticeship program, like the Adult Evening Tech Center. We're in discussion with them uh, that they have a, a, a participate in this. So individuals already having electrical skills they're getting from the tech center, and we're just going to find the uh, solar with that as a apprenticeship program that they can move forward. Wonderful. Thank you. That's phenomenal. Um, bringing back to committee for discussion, Council Member. Uh, yes, I think it's programs like this with the passion of the structure around what you've done um, that we need to be organizing, supporting and finding more of uh, your commitment to what you've done thus far and what you're bringing before us as an opportunity to support further the work you've done is great. Um, but as uh, Councilman um, Lynch said, you know, we have so many more opportunities. And I think this is a very good future of work skill. This is a job that is going to be coming, retrofitting buildings for solar panels and construction of new buildings with solar panels being installed. And so there's a lot of opportunity for employment and development of skills to achieve that. And so I'm excited to see um, what you're doing. My only question to add for us, sure. what's your capacity? How many people can you work at it with at a time? Well, anywhere between seven and ten. Okay. Per, per session. And how long does each session last? One week, 40 One week. hours. And they're ready to be? 18 hours uh, uh, directly at solar training. Okay. And uh, then we have the rest going to the NAPSEP exam. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. And how many training programs does this help us get? Six to eight per year. Okay. Thank you. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it's like either every six or six to eight weeks we offer a training. Makes sense. Uh -huh. Well, thank you for that. Appreciate that. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
I move that we uh, recommend this for approval. Second. Madam Clerk, please call the roll. The committee is voting on the motion to forward item one, ordinance 2023-056 to council with a re recommendation to approve. Member Addison. Aye. Chair Lynch. Aye. That motion has been approved. All right, wonderful. Um, before I move on to the staff report, just a little bit of committee business. Um, there's a couple of agenda items that I wanted to di discuss um, with you all and bringing them before this um, committee. One of those um, being the um, um, the Altria Center, and we have not received an update from. Um, and I'm looking at Council Member Jordan. We have not received an update from the um, developers with the Diamond District on the Altria Center. Correct, um, Madam Chair. The last time I heard from them, which maybe was a month ago, but feels like I'm in a time warp. Um, they had. The background on the Altria site with the Diamond District developers was that they had been reaching out and had some email exchanges with the previous chair of school board, um, wasn't able to get a meeting set up. My understanding is they'd offered to present at school board, um, the agenda was full or you know whatever. Anyway, so they have tried to pick that outreach up again with the new school board president. And um, I think they've had some back and forth about trying to get something scheduled, but as of the last time I spoke to them, it had not been scheduled. Again, that's been like a month or so. Committee members, would it be the pleasure of the committee to have the Altria Theater, I mean, the Altria Theater, my goodness gracious, um, the Altria Career and Tech Center um, and, and just kind of the larger plan around um, uh, tech and career advancement in this committee? Uh, I would say yes. I, I have been working on a development of a kind of a working draft of a public-private partnership conversation around the needs for workforce, most notably around the opportunity for community wealth building and supporting, I think, our community um, benefits mm -hmm. initiatives. We want to support higher local. Well, the only way to hire local is for training people to be hired local, and I think this is a great opportunity to bring those things together. I know there are a lot of partners that would like to support what information should be done around how to develop, develop and build this. I think the time was yesterday in regards to what we can see put in here. And I think the location of this is of utmost importance. It is in a centralized location around key transit corridors. It is adjacent to DPU, near DPW, near 911 call center, near the port, near GRTC. So if you look at just the proximity of what the job centers around that location are, it's incredible. And I think the opportunity is what we could be training students RPS students and or young adults to be ready for the workforce. As we just learned from this program a second ago, Bridging Virginia could be available or something of that sort as well. And so for me, where um, could he do double that if we had a place for him to train in? And I think the answer is probably yes. I'm assuming. I'm not going to assume, but just stating out loud, I believe that that's why this space should be explored and how to do that. I don't believe it's anyone's own ownership. It's all of us together. In terms of RPS, what do they need? What do we see as a workforce development skill set need? What does the Chamber of Commerce and others that are looking at workforce and have been looking at work workforce needs across our region for decades say that we need to have? And even J. Sergeant Reynolds has been investing in this space and they have information around and more importantly, resources and money that can offer to support what we could do here. So 
I want to see us look at this as a comprehensive thing. So I would welcome that conversation at the next meeting. And it is my hope that we can have maybe a more of a shared document around prior to that to discuss. I am also shared that with a couple school board members of interest. So it's not just us talking about it. So it's not a surprise. I also think it would be fun. So let's have that conversation next month. Sounds like good good times. As an action item, um, Council Member Aston, can um, can can you? Uh, we have our next meeting in about a month. Um, we pushed this month's meeting off, so we'll be a little bit further down the road. It gives us a little bit more time. Can you share that document with us, and then we will work with our school board members on how to. Um, perhaps that's a joint meeting that we could talk about Altria. We could talk about the vacant properties that have been lingering out there because there's millions of dollars in vacant property inventory that we, we need to grapple with. Um, and then certainly um, the Altria and the larger, the Altria um, Tech Center and the larger conversation around um, sharing uh, resources and, and being able to fund that effort um, as well. Councilmember Jordan. Good with that. Um, the second topic that I wanted to bring before this uh, or vet with with members um, was the um, out of school time um, universal pre-K effort and um, Head Start initiatives within RPS. Um, deeply concerning, you know, we've lost a, a leader and, and that everyone saw the news that we lost our um, program leader for Head Start. I have yet to get an update um, from that program or from RPS regarding metrics, program, you know, the federal Head Start requirements for which there are many, where the grant is, how much we're eligible for, all, all of which are extremely important details um, that need to come before not only city council, but RPS and the school board. Um, so I would like to have that as a agenda item. Um, I'm looking at members to see what their pleasure is. Sure. I think Council Member Newbill, given her level of expertise, would would I, I did have an opportunity to speak with her. She's not with us today, but and I won't speak for her, but I think we got an amen from her on that one as well. Sounds about right. That sounds an appropriate answer response from her. <laughs> um uh, committee members, if there are any other suggestions for agenda topics, I will take, we will, we can vet them now. Nope. Seeing none. Joyce, would you proceed on with our staff report before we close out? Staff report, Joyce Davis, Council Policy Analyst has been submitted and there are no more comments to add. Madam Chair. Let's move on to approval of the minutes. <laughs> Perfect. The minutes to be approved are from the February 9th, 2023 Education and Human Services Standing Committee meeting. If there are no amendments or corrections, then the meeting minutes will stand approved as presented. Thank the, you, Matt. Those minutes have been approved. Thank you, Madam Clerk. This meeting now stands adjourned.